Welcome to All Along the Wasatch, a public affairs program produced by Bonneville Salt Lake City. If you would like to submit a request to be on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. Now, here's the host of All Along the Wasatch, Mike Parsons. My guest today is from the group Canines with a Cause. The website is caninewithacause.org. It's Kathy King, who is executive director and got this whole party started about, what, 20 years ago? About 12 years ago, actually. Okay. Um, for so, Canines with a Cause. We so, had our 501c3 12 years ago. Okay, but the impetus for all of this started back in the 90s with a hurricane and then uh, later on with Iraq vets coming home in 2010. Maybe you could take us back to the beginning and then bring us up to today. It did. It was the year 1996. I was living in St. Thomas and the hurricane came through. It wasn't supposed to be that bad and it was. And when they finally started evacuating the island a few days later, um, I was taking some folks that I found on the side of the road who weren't very happy at the time. Their hotel room had been destroyed. I think it really messed up their honeymoon. But anyway, when I took them to the airport to drop them off, I saw crates with dogs and cats that had been left behind because they couldn't get on the military planes to Mm. be evacuated. Um, So I felt that these (laughs) – I couldn't leave them there, so – I spent time getting them, you know, back to what was left at the shelter, and the National Guard started bringing us food, and a lot of people were helping out at the time. And, you know, it just was one of those things like, wow, this is, maybe this is something I should be doing. Uh This is my calling. (laughs) What brought you from the Caribbean to Utah? Well, I had been living in Park City before I moved to Park City, so I had things in storage there. Um, So I just basically came home. And started volunteering with best friends, and that was the beginning. So I worked in animal rescue for quite some time, realizing that there's a lot of things that dogs can do that are careers. If you look at all the dogs that are in shelters, and and you know the the problem is finding them all the perfect home. Well, they also have careers. You know, they can do search and rescue, they can drug sniff, they can. You know, spend time with children who are, you know, need of a comfort animal. And, of course, therapy, guide dogs for the blind. I mean, the list goes on. So that was really where the the light bulb went on. It's how can we find homes for these fabulous animals that, you know, no fault of their own ended up in a shelter and also help, you know, their person at the same time. It's such a great concept. It really is. And you've expanded on that because when the Iraq veterans started coming home, you thought, well, maybe there's a way to marry these things together. I did. And it, it took a while to figure out that just, you know, right out of the shelter and, 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 you know, right coming home from their last tour was not a really great idea that they needed a little bit of training and, and a few other things to really make this work. So over the years, we perfected that. Our prison programs have been really a great resource for us to assess and train dogs before we place them with, with the appropriate veteran. So we've learned a lot along the way. It's been a journey, but it's been a good one. And you touched on it because there's a third group you're helping here. Um, you're helping the dogs and you're helping the veterans who both don't know for sure where they belong or who they belong to. But then you're also helping a prison population because they do the initial training. Is that correct? That is correct. And the assessment, too, you know, really just figuring out what the best course is for the dog. Does a dog have a career being a service dog? Maybe it might have the potential of being, you know, an avalanche dog or or really just a dog that's going to be a great pet for a nice family. Um, you know, a lot of that is predetermined in the prison. Um, and then if they do stay on, they get all the basic skills that they would need for service work. Um, and from there, we place them with a veteran. 
and we train the veteran how to be the handler. And the, ma- the magic of that is that the veteran gets to bond with the dog and understand the training process. The veteran knows what the dog knows. Um, because really when it comes down to it, if you've ever been through dog training, it's not so much the dog. It's you. It's the handler. Um, so that's part of the secret as we train the veterans how to train their own dogs. And I saw on your website the phrase, train the trainer. That's what you're talking about. We give the the veterans the handling skills of really training their own dogs what they need the dog to know, which is the task training, what to do if they're out at a store and they start having anxiety attacks or, you know, those types of situations. So they have the confidence to really take that dog out, which is super important. When I dug into your website and learned more about what you're doing, it impressed me on this level because if... I kind of find in interviewing nonprofits and charities that the ones that do the best work have a very specific goal and a very specific population to serve. But you have managed to kind of break that model a little bit because you're serving three very different populations, but it actually makes your cause overall easier instead of more complicated. Right, right. We they all sort of depend on the other. Um, um, you think about what the veterans get from the dogs, but also, too, our offenders not only get a lot from the dogs, but the dogs get the training. So it's all sort of like a, a one big circle um, that works together beautifully. I love it. Take us back to when you first started Canines with the Cause. You said it was about a dozen years ago. Um, what did it look like when you first started? Well, the, the thought <laughs> process was, isn't this just a really great thing that I can do on the side and mm. it will really help the dog, <laughs> the dog and the veterans? And the side turned into full-time plus, plus, plus. Um, but it's been a rewarding journey. Um, I just didn't know that that it would become what it has. And the amazing thing about service dogs is that it's still so new as a concept. You know, a lot of people see someone who looks like a healthy young man with a dog with a service vest, and they'll say, well, you don't need that dog. How dare you be in this restaurant with a dog? Um, but people are learning that there are some hidden wounds that they don't see. You don't have to be in a wheelchair Um to have those wounds, and the dogs really do help. Uh, the laws are getting better as we go on. Um, you know, I think that, that people with real service dogs who are trained appropriately are being better protected, um, you know, where they can take them or where they can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's an industry that's still young, but it's coming a long way. And, and you know, the benefits of the people who really need the dogs, whether it's, you know, a, a child with autism or you know, a veteran with, with PTS. Um, I think people are finally understanding that value and how important it is. And the key is having a well-trained dog um, so people aren't out seeing the dogs that are poorly behaved with the service dog vest on, being totally misrepresented. And I want to talk about both sides of that. Um, but I have a friend who's a veteran and got a service animal. And like you say, he looks completely healthy. He is completely healthy. Uh, but he's got PTSD, and one of the things he did in Iraq was clear buildings. So he was going down halls and looking in rooms and making sure no one was there. And that has stuck with him as a fear. And so his service dog has been specially trained that when he goes into a new building, the dog will go 10 or 15 feet ahead of him and look in rooms and let him know either there's nobody in there or there is somebody in there so that it's not a surprise. And I think that is so amazing. You know, that's a very common training for, for these type of service dogs. Um, because of that whole fear of what's inside. Um, so, no, that's that's common. I love that so much. Um, so you talked about service animals, and then there's also emotional support animals. On the one side of, of the equation, I think that people with emotional support animals and that whole concept maybe has gone too far 
and given us the wrong idea of what these animals are. Can you talk about Absolutely. that side of it? Well, yes, I, I can. And it and it's really the slippery slope because there sure. are a lot of people who really do need their animals to go with them um, certain places and live in apartment buildings where pets aren't allowed and those types of things. But it has been used and abused to the point where when you have squirrels and peacocks on airplanes. Right. I mean, the thing about a service dog um, is that a service dog, when it's trained properly, you don't even really realize for the most part it's there. It will be under the table. It will be out of the way. The dogs are trained, so they're really not interfering with other people. And that's where I think it, it can get tough because if you don't and the dog or whatever animal you have is, is you know, disturbing other people or, or making a nuisance, you know, that's when it really isn't fair to the other people saying, well, why do I have to put up with this dog that this person needs? You know, if this, if this animal doesn't have training, maybe they should just stay home or not take it in public places. Um, service dogs are trained to where they, they can be in public places because of their behavior and, and how they're trained. Um, you know, staying out of the way, those types of things, how they're groomed. Um, you know, they are they are trained to be in public places and not impose upon other people and also take care of what they need to do with their person. Emotional service animals are not. Right. I rely on my dogs a lot for emotional support, but they have no official training. <laughs> so I understand the difference. Uh, well, and same here. My dogs are poorly behaved. They are the shoemaker's children, believe me. <laughs> but... There's another thing, too. Do I really want my dogs to go everywhere with me? I mean, I love my dogs. They're emotional support, but I don't want them to go with me all the time. <laughs> and some people really need their dogs to be with them at all times because their their anxiety levels are such that they really need the dog to keep them calm, you know, deal with, with situations. And if the dog is trained properly, you know, that's something that shouldn't really bother anyone around them. So it really comes down to the training. Yeah. I mean, if you have a squirrel that is trained absolutely beautifully and nobody knows that squirrel is really there except <laughs> for you and it's not interfering, you know, that's just, but that doesn't happen. You know, yeah. that doesn't happen. My guest today is from the group Canines with a Cause. The website is canineswithacause.org. It's Kathy King, who is executive director. So let's, so, talk, let's, let's talk about the training that these dogs do, do go through with the veterans. Um, how long is it? Um, what does it cost for the veteran? No cost to veterans. Okay, I wanted to make sure no, we, we made that point. No, we no, no charge for veterans. And as you saw this afternoon putting this interview together, we also support our veterans and their dogs, our teams throughout the program. So if they run into issues where they can't pay for veterinary bills or, you know, they're they're having, you know, they maybe they have to go back into the hospital for a week or two, we continue to support um, the veterans in our program. They're part of our family. They're part of our team. Um, so we're there for them. Um you know, whatever we can do to help support them and their dogs and that team. Um, and the training depends upon the dog and the person. We've had teams go through our program with, within nine months. Um, and we've had others that have been with us three plus years. Mm. And I think sometimes the veterans really enjoy the training, which is fine too. And, you know, just depending on how much time they work with the dog. Um, so it, it, it varies. It I don't know if there's any time, but I would see it on an average probably a year. And this is a dog that has had some pre-training in prison or, you know, in a board and train right. facility, which we do have in Salt Lake. So we have the time to assess if the dog has the behaviors and potential to be a service dog um, before the place with the veteran. What are those behaviors? What what should somebody look for in a dog? Somebody, maybe somebody has a dog already and thinks, boy, I think this dog would make a great service animal. What do you look for? 
Well, and we have people in our program that have graduated with their own dogs. And the beauty of that sometimes is that they, they already have that bond with the dog, and the, the dog already has some training. Um, so that's a possibility. And we do assess dogs of people that want to bring their own dog into the program. And um, if it works, then they can, you know, train their own dog. If not, we place a dog with them. And um, the, the, looking for a dog, so say we go to a shelter and the trainers are looking for a potential service dog. Um, a lot of it is just a human bond, a dog that's going to be a little bit more wanting to be with a person than another dog. Um, it's sort of nice if they're food motivated because that's how we start off the training. Um, you know, you get a dog going on treats and then, you know, you, you move them, you know, into more of a verbal command. Um, you know, really not too busy. Um, border collies are super smart, but sometimes they want to work a little too much. Mm-hmm. Um, So there's a lot of different things they look for. And also another thing to think about is if you're in a shelter looking for a dog, the behaviors in the shelter are usually a little different than what they're like on the outside. So if you think about it, if you were ever put in jail, you would probably be very different than you are when you're not in jail, right? Sure, sure. You'd either be a little calmer or a little more upset. So it's good for us to get our dogs out and sort of really get their personality, um, you know, before we move forward on that too. But there's a lot of different traits that they look for. And and size, if a dog is really big, it could be difficult to be a service dog unless, um, you know, a person looking for a brace dog, something to help them in and out of a chair or help mm, them, yeah. you know, with, with – but for the most part, if, I mean, if you had a Great Dane and you wanted to go into a restaurant, you would have a pretty right. tough time or something difficult. like that. So usually in prison, they only allow a certain weight of dogs, too. They don't really want, you know, big dogs because when they live there, they live in a very small area. In sure, the, yeah in the cell with the handlers. Um, and small dogs, believe it or not, can really be great little service dogs. They're really good at doing chest work where they can land the chest and slow down breathing. Mm. Um, they're easy for veterans who want to use mass transit and have a little dog that they can carry. So, you know, it's not something we really um, look at doing, but if requested, yes. If they've, small dogs have been great as mm. service dogs for us. And I, I'm not sure that we can totally answer this question, but do the dogs enjoy this? They seem to, because it, to the dog, number one, this is interacting with that person and what makes a dog happier mm-hmm. for the most part. Most dogs really like, and so it's, it's, and when you're training them to do certain things, like say I'm having a bad dream, pull the covers off. Well, this is a fun little game for the dog, right? Right, yeah. So you're interacting with the dog. It's, you know, you're, you're playing with the dog. So and this is an interesting question. I'm glad that you asked because we have, you know, we've had different type of research done on service dogs and the effect on the veteran with the PTSD. Um, we did some research with the University of Utah back in 2016. And I know that Purdue and a lot of other um, universities have really proven how much dogs can help with PTSD. But we have been wondering what it would be like to have some research from the dog's point of view. And I did read a few weeks ago that the University of Colorado is starting to do some studies on just the cortisol level and how this type of training and work um, is, affects the dog, which I think is extremely fascinating. Yeah, it, I mean, so there, I, I think it's fun for them, and I think it's probably a game, but it would be, it'd be great to know at what level. Yeah, and that's what we, is the stress level, I think, is really what we're looking at is that type of training and maybe, you know, having to sit under a table for a few hours or more so than anything. Um, and this is something that we see a lot, especially with our newer veterans in the program. You know, the, the anxiety goes down the leash. And if you think about, once again, training a dog, 
if you go into class and you're confident and you're working with your dog, that's one thing. But if you're really, you know, you're not comfortable being in the room um, and you have a lot of anxiety, the dog feels it and the dog becomes full of anxiety. So that is for us is it can be, you know, in the beginning, especially is we try and create an environment in our classes, which are always very small. Um, where, you know, the veteran can come in and really breathe and relax before they start training. So it's a more of a comfortable situation because once the dog gets anxiety, the veteran has anxiety already Mm. and, you know, forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) Class over at this point. So the dogs feel a lot of what their partners are feeling. I mean, they're kind of like a sponge. And I know that happens a lot with therapy dogs. When they take dogs to sites where, like after 9-11, when they had all the cadaver dogs that were out there they were only working them 10 to 15 minutes because it's so stressful for the dogs that they need to take a break Mm. um you know the same thing when you're dealing with you know people i know that there's a group of of uh, that take their golden retrievers to places where there have been shootings and things like that where it's very emotional and the dogs burn out quick you Mm. know they need to take breaks so i'm sure it's the same with a service dog when it's a really intense environment um but for the most part they're with their partner and they're happy and it's the same with prison people always say oh that's so mean to put a dog in prison it's, are you kidding me it's the <laughs> best thing for a dog ever they have attention they have love they're with people 24 7 you know they're getting played with and worked with it's yeah it's, yeah. it's great sometimes too great sometimes they don't leave <laughs> yeah they have they have no idea what prison really means there's just people there to play with that's exactly right. And they're not going anywhere. They're all there every single day. <laughs> yeah, they don't go to work. Um, we talked a little no. bit about the emotional support animal, but what legal rights do service animals that are trained and their owners have? What I, I know that's the other side of the equation. It is the other side of the equation. And according to ADA, they can go as long as they are trained appropriately. And this is another important thing to know. A lot of people feel very uncomfortable saying, well, why do you have that service dog? And, and no, you shouldn't ask that. And what does that dog do for you? No, you shouldn't ask that. Um, but the training is really what it's all about. Um, a veteran could go through our program and be certified and have a great dog and say they stop training the dog and they let the dog, you know, run amok and start misbehaving, which they'll do if you don't continue training. And they go out in public and the dog's acting up. Well, even though it's a certified service animal, if that dog is disrupting people, that dog can be asked to leave. So it's all based upon behavior. Okay. I know so, there's... You, know, you can buy cards on, on Amazon. You can buy service dog vesting cards on Amazon. And your dog can be poorly behaved. Um, so really when it comes down to it, it's not the vest. It's not the card. It's the behavior. And I can see a service dog... I can spot them in the airport, in grocery stores, everywhere else, and know if they've been trained or not. Right. Is there talk about some kind of official certification happening? There is, and it's very exciting. So we belong to an association. um, It's a military service dog for military veterans. It's nationwide, and they're all organizations like ours. Uh, We train service dogs for military veterans. And we have been working with the AKC for the last several years in developing something called Service Dog Pass. It's very close to um, being launched. I believe two of the airlines have already agreed to take it on. And it's going to be a pass that can be on a mobile phone or card. Um, it will be almost like a, a you know, a, a, so it, it's issued to people who have passed tests as true service animals mm-hmm. and 
the nice thing about it is once you get approved every year you renew it but if you're going to fly on an airplane or you're going to go into a hotel or really any place like that you know they're getting businesses that are signing on to the system is that you would just show your phone like you would anything and and there's your pass and same with making a reservation on an airplane you give them your service dog pass number and next thing they know that this is a true service dog getting on their airplane and what we're trying to do is really weed out all of the fake service dogs. So the dogs that are traveling or going to hotels or restaurants are keeping up their training every year. We know they have all their vaccinations, those types of things. So it, it's it's a process. Mm-hmm. It's a process, but it's, it's happening, um, and we're getting very close. I think that would solve a lot of those problems for sure. So your training facility is uh, here in Salt Lake City, but I know you've expanded beyond Utah. Uh, talk a little bit about that expansion and how that works. It's been very exciting. So we expanded to the Reno, Northern Nevada area about four years ago. We have a prison in Carson City, which the incarcerated veterans in the prison are the ones who train the dogs for us. Mm-hmm. So once again, you know, another win across the board. Um, and our program is based out of the Reno VA. We service areas um, all around um, into around Auburn and California. So we service areas where our VAs who refer us veterans um, are established. And this last year, we are in northern Idaho, eastern Washington, uh, working out of the Spokane VA. The training facility is in Coeur d'Alene, which is about a half an hour from Spokane. And um, we just had our first team graduate yesterday. That is amazing. This this little yeah. this little side project that you started a dozen years ago has become something pretty big. Yeah, the so, side project. That, that, that's a quick. <laughs> um, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, so I'm sure that this is your full time job at this point. How many employees do you have at this point? You know, it's been a full time job. I think since, since they first came up with the idea. <laughs> well, when the idea when I first started, I was the executive director of Friends of Animals of Utah which is now called Nuzzles & Co. It's in some oh, sure, county yeah. outside of Park City. And we had just ran a capital campaign and built this fabulous facility out near Pioa. And, you know, it came to mind, well, we have this big facility. Let's think of programs. And that's really where this started and then kind of took on a life of its own and moved on. We got our own 501c3. So that was in 2010. Um, so then we moved to Rose Park. We had a facility there. And um, we've just picked up steam ever since. That's and amazing. as far as, as employees go, I think we're at 12. So we have admin people, and we're all over the place, which is kind of fun. We get together twice a year and have um, retreats, so we actually get to sit and see one another face-to-face. But we have a staff. We have um, trainers in Nevada, Idaho, um, three in Utah. We have admin. Um, our marketing person actually lives in Sacramento. So we're all over the place. <laughs> 12, 12 sounds pretty low to me considering all the stuff you do. So I'm sure that there are a lot of volunteers helping out. What kind of volunteer yeah. uh, opportunities are there? Well, the biggest volunteer opportunity we have, which I think would probably be the best opportunity, is fostering for us. Mm-hmm. We have a board and train facility, which we just opened in Utah the first of the year. Um, so we have dogs there that are training to be service dogs, but they get kind of bored being there all the time. And we're looking for fosters just to get them out on the weekends so they can do service dog things like go to Home Depot and go to ball games and be around children and all of those other things. So foster opportunities are always there. The great thing about these dogs is they are in training. 
There are two golden retriever puppies that I can't even begin to tell you how cute they are <laughs> that are both there waiting to have people take them out on the weekends. Um, so that's a great opportunity. You know, dog walking, help, helping Chloe at the facility with the dogs. Um, of course, I can always use people to help, you know, with admin type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on really what somebody would like to do um, to help out. I've, so there's a lot of opportunities. I haven't heard of another um, animal group that has fostering on the weekends. Normally it's, you know, we're looking for some, you, you can take the dog and foster it full time until it's adopted. So the idea of taking a dog on the weekend sounds super fun to me. It's like being a grandparent. Yeah. You get to go, you get to take the dog, play with it for a few days and then <laughs> give it back. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the nice thing for our dogs is it also gives us, as I say, that second side of the personality when a dog is in prison or, or boarding, you know, board and train, of course, it's used to routine. It's used to the, the handler. It's used to all those things. When you put it in a home with kids, which most of the veterans in our program have kids, you know, some of them have cats, um, mm-hmm, those yeah. types of things. And we really get to see how the dog reacts to the real world. Um, and that's really important for us, too. So the fosters are, are really instrumental in us being able to train the dogs and get them to a place where we can place them knowing that they're going to be okay with, you know, with whatever, yeah. to see how they react, whatever is going to come their way. Plus, how fun is it to have a fun little puppy on the weekends? And, you know, when people travel, it's a great thing for people who are in the airline industry or going to school, and they want a dog to go hiking with on the weekend or, you know, do something fun with. I think that's a great opportunity, and a lot of people would want to take advantage of that. It's an amazing Absolutely. thing. It's an amazing thing you've done and you continue doing. It's Canines with a Cause. The website, canineswithacause.org. If you go to the applications tab, you can apply there to be either uh, the veteran or a foster or a volunteer. Um, all the opportunities are there. Kathy King, who is executive director, thank you so much for the good work you're doing. Thank you for calling and let me talk about the good work that we're doing. <laughs> thank you for listening to All Along the Wasatch with Mike Parsons. If you would like to submit a request to be a guest on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. That's mparsons at ksl.com.